from AATH, the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. This is LaughBox, the podcast for laughter and humor professionals. Here's your host, Chip Lutz. Hello, friends, and welcome to LaughBox, the uh, official podcast of the Association of Applied and Therapeutic Humor. And today... It's a pretty cool day for me because I got to talk to one of my very good friends, somebody that uh, I've spent actually a lot of time with over the past five years, um, Linda McNeil. And what I like about Linda is she has got such a diverse background. I mean, here's somebody that, you know, has a master's in Japanese linguistics, you know, taught clowning, worked for um, Barnum and Bailey, you know, clown college, you know, taught, was a clown professor, you know, ran a computer company, you know, she just, you name it. She's done it. She's such an interesting background, and she's also a self-proclaimed FSP, former serious person. She's not serious anymore, or so I don't, I've never known her to be serious, but uh, welcome, Linda, to LaughBox. Well, thank you very much, Chip. What do I... (laughs) (laughs) Okay, are we done yet? (laughs) It's all good. So let's, let's start, if you could tell our listeners a little about uh, who you are, where you hail from, and just so they get a, an idea who Linda McNeil is. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, well, I, I, I think that the way I got to where I was why, was by being a loser, actually. Um, I, I thought I was doing everything right growing up. You know, I went to the right school, and I behaved myself, and I went to college, and I went to grad school. But the idea in those days, I'm 67, so I went to college in the 60s, and the idea then was you went for an MRS degree. And since Uh I didn't get an MRS degree, I decided to stay in the mix and uh, go to grad school, and it just so happened the only subject that I really could have gotten a master's degree in at that time was Japanese. So I went to the University of Hawaii and uh, failed that also. I got a master's degree, but I didn't get a husband. So then I was stuck. I was 23 and totally clueless. Um, I was not prepared for anything. So I I remember thinking that I had to find like a one-stop shop solution for my life. I I needed a place to live, a job, someone to feed me, and someone to tell me what to wear. Because after being with the circus, you know, you or actually after being in grad school, which was Hawaii, which is where I was wearing just moo-moos, and then I come back to New York City, and I had no idea what to, you know. Anyway, I was not socially adept, so I thought maybe someone could tell me what to wear. So there were three options that I came up with. This is 1973, when Nixon was uh, leaving office and all of that. I came up with Club Med. Think about that for a second. Club Med, you know, you wear the, the uniform and you, you know, anyway, I applied to teach tennis at Kauai, Hawaii, where there was a Japanese, a, you had to speak Japanese and French, which I did. And I got in there. So Club Med was a great option. Military, they all definitely tell you everything, right? Right. You would know that, Chip, right? <laughs> uh, so they would tell me where to, where to go, what to do, what to eat when to sleep, and I thought that would be a great option. But in those days, it really wasn't female-friendly, and I couldn't get a, couldn't get a, a, a good feel for that. Uh-huh. And the other that came up was I happened to be state champion at the time of gymnastics, and I found out from some people there who were other gymnasts that they were auditioning for Ringling Brothers because they were uh, 
they have auditions all over the country in those days and so a lot of the people were flying to Los Angeles uh, to audition and I wow it just like seemed like a great idea because you have a place to sleep on the train and you have animals to play with all day and routines <laughs> and you know a job and it just sounded like a great idea and I needed I needed a lifestyle so um, I auditioned in Los Angeles and they were kind of interested but I ended up you know going to the other coast uh, anyway I ended up auditioning twice and I did get in they had five slots for women in those days they really weren't that interested in women but they definitely needed uh, young clowns mm -hmm. so anyway uh, that so I, I did that and then uh, they they partnered me with Penn of Penn and Teller mm -hmm. and Penn was uh, 17 and I was 23 and we didn't doesn't sound like much in these days you know being six years apart but in those days it really was a big difference and he was so clever even in those days uh, you you know who I'm talking about yeah yeah absolutely Penn, yeah well Penn even in those days when he was 17 he was really clever and he always wanted to do things his way and uh, the the rule there in clowning was that every single move was choreographed and it was timed and counted like you bent down on the number, you know, on the count of one, and you got up on the count of three, and you bent your knee on the count of four, because slapstick is really choreographed. Uh -huh. And he wanted to do it his way, and I never knew what he was going to do. So since they had paired us up because of our size difference, I'm very short and he's very tall, and we just looked funny together, so it worked. But anyway, we didn't like each other, and we both quit. We were just very unhappy. <laughs> And so okay, well, he went on because it's so interesting to me that you know in, they they like sucked all the fun out of clowning because it was all it was all choreographed. That's hilarious. It's, well, it, it's, it's true. It's it's true. Clowning is very very. Oh my gosh, everything is very well choreographed. Yep. So uh, and and, and like, that's exactly. When my kids were small, I was threatened to, you know, send them off to the circus. And here, you just did it voluntarily. Your parents must have been like, man, why, could, why couldn't she have done that when she was young? <laughs> <laughs> well, I did run away with the circus, but I didn't get far enough. And I, I, you can't really run away from yourself. I mean, I thought I was by joining the circus. I thought that was the most dramatic, you know, uh, drama queen thing I could do to come up with a lifestyle but mm -hmm. no it's it's uh, anyway it didn't work so I found myself then again without a husband and without a job and without a life in New York City <laughs> um, you know yeah anyway people were trying to girls in those days we were called girls were trying to be demure sort of marriageable sort of you know sweet little things and uh -huh. I sure sure didn't fit that style so I wasn't gonna say anyway. that. that was not gonna that was not gonna come out of my mouth I was not <laughs> gonna say that at all because I know I know you and I was like sweet demure those were words I mean sweet maybe but demure never I but I wasn't gonna say it so I'm glad you did <laughs> Well, really, I don't think our organization, the AATH, is made up of demure people. No. If you were demure, you really couldn't share humor. You have to be, you have to, you have to be willing to make a fool of yourself and be out there and um, extend your extend your your boundary. You know, extend yourself to be in our business. What was the and, coolest uh, thing about? I mean, even though they choreographed everything, a cloud. What was some of the 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 neat things about being with the circus? 
deep sigh. Hmm, nothing. <laughs> That's why they went out of business. <laughs> well, no, um, I think you've really asked the wrong person. I did like the animals, um, and I really did not see any, any animals mistreated at all. They were lovely animals, and I did enjoy being with them. But the, the clowns were really, and, and you know that you stay, you, we pretty much stayed with our own group of people there, and, and the clowns were all very <laughs> sad, lost people. We really were very antisocial, kind of wafy sort the of lost people. The bastard stepchildren of the circus. That's so sad. Really? <laughs> it's, a, it's a clown click. You guys uh, have to eat lunch over here at this table. <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> bunch of weirdos honestly it just yeah uh so i did not really you know it, as i said it's it's you know no matter where you go there you are sort uh -huh. of thing and i brought myself with all of my upset of life not turning out at at the you know wee age of 23 thinking that life was over so it, it just it i was the wrong person at the wrong time um and it may have been a wonderful place mm. for other people but not for me and and anyway uh Papa Gallona started uh, hitting on me because I was uh, brought up to the trapeze and going to do some clowning up there. And yeah, it was, <laughs> it was all just as sleazy as you think the, the circus is. But anyway, it was interesting. Yeah. Hmm, the sordid and, details. I like that. Well, <laughs> sounds like, it, sounds it, like it, a, it, a book. I think you have a book in the making there. Okay. Behind, well, the, be, wasn't that behind, behind the tents. <laughs> the, the story of Linda McNeil. I, I think that would be awesome. All right. I'm sorry for interrupting. Keep, continue. No, no. No, that, that's it. And then I went to New York and I eventually ended up with my own computer company. And uh, I, I became really, I, I was in, in preparation for talking to you. I started thinking about my life and I kind of discovered this uh, before was the reason I was so successful in the computer business was, was not because I was smart, but because I was fun. Like people wanted to be in my classes and they wanted to be around me. Mm. And I'm not bragging. I'm just, I'm getting to a point, which is that after about 15 years, when the computer business changed, uh, consultants would I was in New York City, and consultants were able to work with any corporation. It was a very easy come-and-go situation until around 95, when all the contracting changed with consultants, and we needed bonding and all kinds of different things. Anyway, so for 15 years, I would come and go, and I would do conferences for cash managers, and I was having a great life. And the reason they, they really wanted me, and I got invited to places like Singapore to teach, because people had a great time. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to figure that out in 1998 or 1999, you know, 2000. I was trying to figure out what it was that I liked about the computer business because I sure as heck was closing my business. I, it was very successful, but um, I was no longer interested. And what I figured out was that I liked to play with people. Like I really liked the interactions and the fun. And I always made sure that people, when they showed up at the door, something funny was happening. Or mm -hmm. I actually would be wearing silly hats and silly, you know, dealy boppers. This is in the computer business in the 80s. I mean, wow. I went into business in 1982 when the PC was just uh, coming to fruition. But I didn't put that together 
all of this, you know, fun and, and have a great time. Um, I had policemen in my class. I had them wiping the screens because there, there was construction in the building. And I said, no, you, you wipe the screens. You know, and people would laugh about that, like that I was telling people to do that. And mm-hmm. I was seating people next to each other, a boy, girl. No, no, I want you to sit boy, girl, boy, girl. Now, that doesn't sound very funny, but it's, it was out of character for the computer field. Right. So, so there it was, 2000, I had to reinvent myself. And thinking back, the most fun I had in the computer field was putting together my workbooks and including cartoons. Uh-huh. Like I had all these cartoons in the book. And I thought, hmm. And I, I, I had like three cabinets full of funny stuff that I would add to the, to the workbooks. And the fact that I was having so much fun. So anyway, I, I went to a business analyst and he figured out that what I really liked was the fun part of it. And then, um, I don't know, coincidentally or, or serendipitously, I went running with a girlfriend and she said she was a nurse. Mm-hmm. She says to me, um, she says, oh, Linda, I have found the greatest profession. I'm quitting nursing. I said, What? I said, well, what are you going into? She said, recreational therapy. Uh-huh. And I said, well, well, what does that mean? She said, I get to play games with adults. Well, I, I remember to this day, and I, I can feel it in my chest, we were literally running in Rockefeller Park. I stopped. I couldn't even move. It hit me like a ton of bricks. Playing with adults. Wow, playing games with adults. I, I tell you, I, I couldn't move for like five minutes. I was talking to her about it. And I created a new life for myself. I said, I'm going to play games with adults. That's what I love to do. Uh-huh. Isn't that what we're all doing, really? Uh-huh. I mean, in the humor field, we're either verbally playing with people or we're, but it's an energetic sort of a, an exchange. And I swear, I. It changed that I stopped dead in my tracks. I mean, literally and figuratively. So um, I started a games company, a, a corporate games company for um, corporate picnics. I created these big games out of rubber chickens. I had six sizes of rubber chickens. Six. Did you know that they come in six different sizes? No, I knew that they came in two because I have a small one and a large one. Oh, That's, please. Uh... You're just an amateur rubber <laughs> chicken collector there. I am. Um, I have, rubber, was, I have rubber chicken envy now. I might bring you some to the conference and show you all the sizes that I have, my <laughs> private collection. Um, and yeah. I would create these wonderful games and do treasure hunts, and people had the best fun. And it was wonderful to let, you know, to give people permission to have fun. Uh-huh. And it was just, I was high as a kite. And it was early in the, well, maybe it wasn't early for kids like you, but it was early for me, like around 2001 or or two, I went on the newfangled internet and I would like quit, you know, ask for different subjects because I was just trying to read up more on this games and this fun thing. Uh And I came across World Laughter Tour and I asked for laugh. I think I laughed, asked for funny and fun and laughter and I came up with World Laughter Tour. Steve Wilson, mm-hmm. and it, I, I think that you know the, the universe was colluding because the training was in New Jersey. I live in New York, in, in New Jersey, in a few weeks. I swear to God that you know how do you 
how does that happen? Right. And went and took it, 2002, became a, a laughter leader, just discovered there was a whole world of people out there that were, I don't know, into this fun stuff. Uh-huh. Took the training, uh, <clears throat> started teaching. I had great entrepreneur skills. I didn't have any trouble <clears throat> finding a way to you know, find people to laugh with and places to teach and all of that. And mm-hmm. Did that for a while, but sort of... it. <sighs> You know, there's the big difference, as you you know, because you teach laughter. Uh, it's a little bit, it's less intellectual and more physical and more committing, and um, you have to really let yourself go to do it. Right. And it's back in the early 2000s. It took a lot of energy to to have people. Uh, be willing to let go, you know, right. and do that. Why do you think that is? And the, the literature wasn't out there. People were, uh, it was, I don't, there weren't as many, I don't know, maybe it was just that there weren't enough stories about this in all mm-hmm. everybody's magazines mm-hmm. uh, because it was a much harder sell to talk about laughter. And even when I got into humor, which was just within two or three years, I had discovered AATH. To talk to people about having bringing more enjoyment into the workplace in 2005 and six people that was very early. People were not into that yet. Mm-hmm. It hadn't come out as a corporate value. Or, right. I, I certainly, know. I certainly believe that uh, humor and laughter have become more mainstream. I think, especially in the corporate world, I think, you know, companies Mm -hmm. like Google and Acuity, you know, companies that value a enjoyable workplace and they're, you know, in Forbes top 100 places, you know, uh, best places to work. I mean, glass stores, you know, top 100 places to work. I think that certainly has an impact, has had an impact on the perception of society on the, the applications of humor and fun and enjoyment in the workplace. I think that it, 10 years ago, it wasn't like that, like you were saying. Hey, we've come a long, we come a long way, baby, as far as you know, people understanding how that really leads to engagement, because it really does lead to engagement for people. Absolutely, but it was a harder sell. Mm-hmm. In the olden days, um, the olden and- days, two thousand and six. <laughs> the olden days, back when dinosaurs <laughs> roamed the earth, and we used post-its to actually write things on. <laughs> I still, okay, okay, but it was well. It was much harder sell uh, was, in yeah, the I olden agree. days. And now, I'm actually, Steve Wilson said it recently, um, maybe even in his interview with you, was it's it's just too hard to sell the concept anymore because if you don't, if you haven't gotten it yet, you're not going to get it. Yes. But in those days, I didn't feel that way. I felt that it was my job because I really believed in the power and and the health benefits and the, the... Every, all the social lubricant, you know, everything that, that humor did for people, I believed in it very strongly, but I, uh, you know, uh, anyway, it was harder to sell. Now right. it's, it's easy, and if they haven't heard of it, then, then well, anyway. It's, just, um, they're, it's very they're, easy to go into corporation now and sell them on any kind of a program that makes people happy. Right. Well, they see the value. 
So in your years of doing this, and you've been doing it, I mean, like I said, you've got one of the most diverse backgrounds of anybody I know. And I think it was interesting how you said that in that classroom when you were telling to wipe the screens or sit boy, boy, girl, boy, girl, that it might not seem that funny, but there's a lot of context that that goes with humor, especially in a classroom setting that, you know, Mm -hmm. things might not seem funny on the outside, but when you're in that situation, it is, you know, that's when you go, like when you go to tell that joke and it's, it was a really, really funny experience. But when you explain it to somebody, they're like, that's not funny. Well, you weren't there. You know, there's a certain amount of context that goes with that. So I completely understand what you were saying on that. But in your years of doing this, you know, what are some of the the, best stories you have of, you know, fun things that have happened or people that have come back to you said, you know, that was like the best thing that I've ever, you know, I've ever experienced in my life. Do you have some moments like that? (laughs) Um, I used to, I don't know who I stole this from. So I, excuse me if it was you, but Someone um, used to say, if somebody, you always had to have something when someone would come in late, right? So if somebody came in late to a class, you wanted to do something uh, that would embarrass them, uh, embarrass funny. But anyway, so I picked up this technique where if someone came in late, I would say, oh, glad you're here. We just finished sharing our sexual fantasies, and it's your turn. Well, I... Something like that, a little more explained. And I did that at a military event with when the minister, uh, the the pastor, the the pastor chaplain. came in, mm-hmm. the chaplain. Yep, chaplain came in late. That uh, was Arkansas. Chaplain came in late, and I said, "Oh, I'm I'm glad you've arrived. Oh, we were just finishing up our first topic, you know, sharing our fantasies, our sexual fantasies, and it, it's your turn." So, and everyone turns around, and it was the the chaplain and they all were hysterical and mm-hmm. I I didn't get it well anyway that was uh, so <laughs> in general I think that I think it's not specific things that I did but it's it's that people feel they feel good in my classrooms and I don't know why I wanted that so much um, and I don't know where I got it from uh, or why I modeled it that way I, maybe I was making up for the fact that I was a very average computer person. I wasn't that clever, but I really wanted to teach. I was earnest in teaching, and they knew it. Mm-hmm. It's like people don't care what you know as long as they know that you care about them or whatever. There's a really pithy expression about that. And they knew I really cared about them learning, having fun, and um, and relaxing while they were in my classroom. Right. Um, Actually, just one more thing about about uh, teaching computers sounds like a different subject, but teaching computers in the early 80s to executives, which is something that I ended up specializing in, even in the Trump Corporation, I was teaching all of the executives and the Rockefeller Group and all, because I knew that the smart people that got to the corner office in these corporations got there because they were smart, but not because they could figure out a PC. A PC was really an odd thing. Oh, yeah. um, it, and these people were made to feel really stupid. So most of them ended up with private tutoring from myself or my partner. Mm-hmm. And they were able to really get it. But I made sure that people were relaxed. I don't know where I learned this, but later on the science, of course, has... has uh, 
has backed this up is that when people are relaxed, they actually learn mm -hmm. much better. And somewhere uh, figured that out, or um, and that's what made me so successful. So this whole humor field is just making people feel not making people, but allowing people to feel comfortable having fun doing what they need to do anyway. Right. I don't know. It's just sort of. It's funny you mentioned that computers used to be so hard. They were. I remember uh, doing my teaching internship in my undergrad and teaching introductory computer classes all in DOS. And oh, it yeah. was, it was, it wasn't any fun, but you try to make it fun. <laughs> I, you know, I, and what's funny is I remember my, my boss, you know, when she asked me to teach the class, I said, well, I'm not a computer guy. She's like, well, my computer guys can't teach. You can teach. You can make right. it fun for them. And so yep. I, I, I'm, I'm with you on that, that if you can make something a little more enjoyable for people, it takes away that stress. So if you take away that stress, they're going to be a little more receptive, a little bit more open to whatever you're going through. And they're going to, they're going to get a little bit quicker. And chances yeah. are, since it was enjoyable, they're going to come back again. I had no trouble getting business for, for all those years uh, because of that. And it just, you, you just um, said something, the, the, the whole, there was a lot of fear and upset around the whole PC business, but for some reason, because I had so much trouble learning it because it was illogical, it was all rules, you know, it wasn't logic. As I said, the smartness that got them in the corner office was not the smartness that was going to make them successful in computers. Right. Well, for whatever reason, I was able to explain things to them in a way that they were able to actually do it. Mm -hmm. And as time went on, people kept saying, you have a way of learning something and then being able to get it into very concrete terms. And I think that's one of the things that has kept me in the humor business so long is all of the wonderful research that people like Dr. Lee Burke comes up with and uh, Heidi Hanna and all of that. It has to go from research to what's in it for me. You know, right. uh, how do I actually use this? I, that's very interesting and all of that. But I, I really pride myself on go, getting it down to the dog shit level where people can actually do something with it. Like, right. if you know that three deep breaths are going to do it, how are you going to learn? to do three deep breaths every single time you need it. Mm. There, there's a big gap between where people know, you know, they learn it in a class to mm -hmm. where they actually do it instinctively. Right. And I think that's where I sort of specialize. And people like, especially Heidi Hanna, for me, she's been a mecca of brilliancy. Um, she's a way of saying things that, uh, that I need to hear, and and I'm sure other people are too. And I, you know, Steve Saltnoff. Everybody has, you know, there's so many people in our organization that are brilliant. But for whatever reason, I keep grabbing things. Heidi, uh, like my very first thing that that. Well, what was the question? <laughs> was I answering a question? I'm yeah. sorry. You were just talking. We were having a conversation. We we're talking about um, education. In your basic, you know, premise was that theory is nice, but application is what works. And you know, you're really good at giving people things that they can apply in their lives to make a difference for themselves and you know their circle of influence. Well, <laughs> <the first> <laughs> well, um, 
the very first thing I, I okay, my uh, husband, uh, my ex-husband, uh, deployed to Iraq in 2006, mm-hmm. and I had already been teaching humor. I thought, oh yeah, I'm an expert in this stuff. The second he left, it wasn't very funny. I couldn't apply any of this stuff to myself. Like it wasn't real. It was all just intellectual. Mm-hmm. So I um. I grabbed people in my fellowship. I'm a Unitarian, and I went to the fellowship, and I said, you, 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 and you, report to my house every Wednesday morning. We're going to have a humor class, humor support group. Mm -hmm. And it was at that time that I learned, I took the Paul McGee book, the humor book, um, and we went through chapter by chapter, learning different techniques each week and practicing and all of that. And even after that, with all the stuff that you can learn, I still have decided, and to this day, my number one humor technique is to take three deep breaths. That's mm-hmm. the very first thing I have people do. And it was, people were like, why? Heidi said it, it was, it's to get you out of your mind into your body, which is a great place to be. If you're in your body, you're actually where you are. Mm-hmm. Because your mind can go everywhere. Your body is right here. If you actually bring your breathing and, and, and all of the other reasons why people breathe to manage their stress. Um, anyway, so deep breathing uh, is the number one thing. So all of those years, on, we had the humor group for six years. And we, was, we always came back to take three deep breaths then inhale and smile on the way out of the third deep breath, and mm-hmm. that's a technique. Now, how do you get from knowing that that's good for you to actually doing that? Well, I think that sometimes I think that you kind of hit it on the head that when you know your ex-husband deployed, there wasn't anything funny about it, but you forced yourself to get out of that rut. I think a lot of times when we have bad things happen, we just – we we sit in that rut and we don't force ourselves to get out of it and do something positive. But once we, we start forcing ourselves to do something, then I think that that's where change occurs. Yes. Um, the problem I think for me for the first 60 years of my life was that I thought that if I thought something, that that was a fact. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, so this is, this is shitty. That's it. Period. Like, yeah. I didn't have any choice. I didn't know that just because I had a thought that something was terrible, that I had any more power than that. I thought the game was over. Uh-huh. It, like, that was the truth of the matter. So learning all of this stuff and, and all of this reframing and all of these great ideas that these humor books bring out makes you so much more powerful, gives you tools so that when and when he deployed – I was like, wait a minute, I know these things exist now because I, 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 I teach them, but how do you get that to actually happen in, in real life? Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the ways that, that I had people do things was, I, and I still do it, and you've been in my classes, you've seen it, I have little strips of paper that say breathe or little strips of paper that say smile, and I planted them everywhere in my life. First, I decided I wanted to practice breathing so that – I would breathe three times every single time I saw one of these signs. And I put them everywhere. And then I wanted to add smiling to my being. So I did that to add it. And then I combined the two, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. So putting little 
uh, like putting a little piece of paper behind your watch so that every time you look at your watch it says breathe. That's the kind of training because going from intellectual to actually getting something to happen differently in your life, you have to develop a new habit. And so much is written about that. So anyway, all of these things are so fascinating and they're all part of the humor field. And that's what I teach. I teach people how to create new new habits. I teach people the very, it's so very, very basic, um, how you talk to yourself, mindful talking to yourself. Right. Well, some of our self-talk, talk. I, even for me, I, I try to stay a pretty positive person, but I know that a lot of times my self-talk can be really negative. And I like your strategies that you just brought up, you know, little reminders to, you know, do the things that you know work. Excuse me. Yeah. It's, you know, you know, breathing or, you know, remembering to smile, you know, the things that you know are going to work for you to yank you out of the, the muck. Mm -hmm. That that's a, a great strategy for people to uh, employ. Well, for me, it worked because um, I put them everywhere and they were, um, yeah, they, I think that uh, they call them mind hack, a mm -hmm. mind hack where you just take your mind and you go, Oh, whatever you're thinking about, no, let's smile for a second. And you take it away from where it was and put it in a positive place and woo. Um, another, another one that I've taught myself is instead of, um, I used to, you know, carry on when something bad happened. I've now trained myself literally kinesthetically, like in my body, the reaction that I have when something bad happens is I laugh now instead of the oh shit and whatever, whatever, because I know I've studied with everybody at AATH how bad that is for your body and all of that. Mm -hmm. So I now laugh and um, I use an expression, this is perfect. So um, when I was teaching in the humor class, my, my class, there was this gap again that I keep talking about between that's a good idea to use humor and you're in the moment saying, oh, shit, and stamping your feet. How do you get – how do you hook into your humor being? Mm -hmm. You're in the oh, shit. How do you get to humor quickly? So one of the people in my group said he needed a humor hook. He called it a hook. He wanted something to hook him back into humor. And I thought of it like a, a phrase or a mantra, like in yoga, which I also practice – you have a mantra that you can do or in meditation to focus your mind. So anyway, we all came up with expressions. Like one person came up with, beam me up, Scotty. And mm -hmm. he trained himself that whenever he saw a mess or something happened, he'd beam me up, Scotty. I'm, I'm out of here or whatever. Right. And mine was, this is perfect. I, I don't know why, but um, I now look at every situation that I'm in. And the first thing that comes to mind is, this is perfect. No matter what, I get to the airport and mine's the only flight that's canceled. You look and you go, this is perfect. And it stops <laughs> the mental crap. Right. And I train myself to do that by putting little, little signs, this is perfect, everywhere until it started actually coming out of my mouth. That's the way people learn foreign languages. You know, they, it, they keep seeing it and saying, you know, and it starts coming out of their mouth when they really need it. So um, I've actually train myself in these reflexes now to laugh when something horrible happens to say this is perfect and these are the things that, ha that do keep me healthy and I do believe I don't suffer from stress uh, even a fraction of what 
I would have if I hadn't found AATH and found right. out all of these fabulous ways. To now let's tether let's let's tether together the fact that you've got an MA in uh, Japanese linguistics and your mind hack phrase of this is perfect. What is this is perfect in Japanese? <laughs> oh my God! <sighs> um, okay, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I was 25 years old. I was 23 years old, and now I'm 67. Is that a good enough excuse? I was all excited. Um, when I, 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 I speaks in Japanese. Here's the Japanese I know. When I came home from um, college, my first semester learning Japanese, we, had, we were learning in those days. I don't know if they still do. They learn dialogues. And so I took the longest sentence from one of my dialogues because it sounded most impressive. And whenever anybody said, oh, say something in Japanese, I would say, and that means go to the end of the road and turn left. <laughs> well, that's, that's it for me. And people then would ask me also to speak um, Hawaiian. And in those days, um, I knew all of the roads between myself and Ala Moana Shopping Center. So I would just recite the road names, which were many syllables with lovely, lovely vowels in them. You know, P-I-K-O-I and all this. Anyway, and uh, so that I could fake that too. But nope, do not remember how to say this. Is oh, I'll have to try the same thing when somebody, you know, asked me to speak uh, Wisconsinite. I'll just start repeating some of the, the, the crazy names of the cities here. I'll just sort of chain them together, like Milwaukee, Pewaukee, Oconomowoc. Yeah, that'll, that'll, that'll work for me, too. It, it, it really impressed my friends. <laughs> oh, so, uh, I really no, appreciate no. spending some time with you today. Uh, like I said, I like spending time with you. I think that you're one of the coolest people I know. That you're, 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 well, I do. Your background is so diverse, and you have such a great, yeah, a, a great path to getting where you're at now that I, I, I absolutely love you know, listening to you, you know, share that stuff. And I, I think that you're one of the, the neatest people I know See, because, you know, like whenever I was on the board or I was like, Hey, can you do this? You always, I, I'll do it. And I never had to, I never had to worry about it. Cause if Linda was on it, it was getting done. <laughs> well, well, thank you. Um, now, if after today people want to find you, where do they go? Okay. I don't think they would want to find this this mess of information, but if they do, I'm at humorsolutions.com. That's H-U-M-O-R, humor, solutions, S-O-L-U-T-I-O-N-S.com. Anyway, um, I teach, I'm still teaching. I love teaching stress management using humor um, because I do think that that is the key to um managing stress which is the key to keeping yourself healthy and uh anyway i i share my joyful self with with everybody and and i'm very happy to be in the be in aath where i've like-minded people well and i always have a clown nose with me which i suggest that everybody don't leave home without a clown nose or um i don't know that's that's what i do well, and we appreciate it. 
Well, thanks again for spending some time with me today. I know that people listening will definitely enjoy <laughs> learning a little bit more about Linda McNeil and your strategy. I think you gave some great strategies. I love the mind hacks. I love the deep breathing. Everything that you just said to me are things like, oh, these are all things that I can actually do. So I appreciate that because I know some people will get real value from those, those, uh, those uh, tips. Oh, thank you. Take care. Have a great day. I will see you in a couple of weeks. Good. This is LaughBox, the podcast for laughter and humor professionals. LaughBox is made possible by a grant from the National Speakers Foundation and is brought to you by AATH, the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Find out more at AATH.org. Be sure to review LaughBox on iTunes. For show notes and more information about today's conversation, visit LaughBox.AATH.org.